Maggie. I tell you what, this is rather overwhelming for Diane and I this morning. It's really special to be here. I want to thank all the people who led us in worship. I feel like we could say amen and go home right now, but I won't ask for a second, okay? But it is a joy, a privilege, and a blessing for Diane and I to be here today. I appreciate so much the opportunity um, to be here. appreciate the invitation that your pastor, Jamie, issued a few months ago and asked if we could be here today. And I want to say why I think about it, that um, we miss you more than you, you will ever know. And we don't call this homecoming at First Baptist Church until we have these five-year anniversary services, which really serve as a homecoming, but it is homecoming for us. And I know for, for many of you others, and I've already seen from out of town as well. So it's, it's great to be in the house of the Lord. It's great to be at First Baptist Church, Dillon, a most special, this is the most special town, a most special place, most special church, and this is a most special place right here where I stand. And, and so I'm honored to have the opportunity today. I appreciate your theme. I'm not surprised at all knowing Jamie the way I do, what your theme is, generation to generation. Um, he has a passion to equip the new generation, the young generation, to carry on the legacy here at First Baptist Church. We talked about that many, many times. And he reminded me that now I'm a part of the past generation as well. Thank you. <laughs> but that was a joke, just like, just like many of the rest of you. And it's, it's exciting to see the younger generation here. And it's exciting to see the babies that are being born here and see the preschool building fill up with, with young voices and so forth. So um, I could go on and on and just share memories and, and testify. I'm going to testify from God's Word in just a moment. Um, I do want to say that Diane and I are doing well. We've adjusted. Um, we stay busy. good friend of mine from way back in high school, when I got down to the coast, he said, you'll do good in retirement as long as you don't fall in love with your recliner. And so I, I try not to be, I lo love my recliner, but I Try not to spend too much time there, and, um, and, but we've done well. We're a member of a new church, Coastal, Community, Coastal Life Community Church, right down off 17, almost near where Market Common is, if you know where that is, and the Lord just decided to place us there. It wasn't something we were looking for, but we've enjoyed it and made many new friends we're one of the minority native South Carolinians in that church. Everybody, people come from everywhere, New York, New Jersey, West Virginia, Ohio, and there's a few South Carolinians in our church as, as well. Very briefly, I just wanted to give you a quick update about our family. Matt and his family, his wife Tamara, and their children, Lorelai and Blaze, now make their home in Annapolis, Maryland. They've been up there almost two years, and um, they, they are, enjoy it. And... Um, and, and are doing well. Um, Matt is a chiropractic physician at Annapolis Pain Care there in Annapolis. Allison and her family, Allison and Robbie, still live in Munts Corner. Allison is a pastor's wife. Robbie pastors a new church there in Munts Corner that's a couple years old and it's thriving. Um, I don't know if I mentioned, Lorelai's 15 years old now, which is hard to say. Um, Blaze will be four on New Year's Day. 
Alice and Robbie have four children. They have Marley, who's now 12, Emery, who is 10, Gibson, 7, and you may have heard about their new little son, Stevenson, who they adopted from Haiti. He will be four on Christmas Eve. So he and Blaze are a week apart in their age, and they're all doing well. And we're happy and praise the Lord about that. It's hard to believe it's been three years already. And prayerfully considering the direction of my message this morning, um, I began to reflect on things that have occurred over the last three years. The three years since October, three years ago, when we retired and left and, and moved on. And quite frankly, as I prayerfully considered what to preach today, it coincided with where I was in my devotional reading and reading the book of Revelation and, and meditating upon it. And all, those two times just came together. And, and that's where I'm, I'm landing us this morning in our time together. If you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the first chapter of Revelation. And as you do that, let me just say, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the last three years at least for our lifetime, has been an unprecedented time in history. And I know sometimes when you're in, your, in the present, you forget sometimes how things were in the past. And there has always been challenges, challenges and difficulties and things that are going on. But these last three years, um, I don't know, I think you can characterize it as being three years full of trouble, turmoil, uncertainty, distress, and we could go on and on with a litany of how we would describe these three years. First and foremost, the elephant in the room is the pandemic, something that we did not see coming. Over one half of the last three years since I was your pastor has consumed our world, consumed our, our nation, consumed our communities, and consumed our lives, not to mention the church with its impact on the church, and the stress, and the, and the sickness, and the death, and the grief, and the controversy, and the economic impact, and, and all that has come with it. And in a real way, COVID-19 basically defines the last couple of years. And then you add on, on top of that, our nation, and the division in our nation. We are a nation divided. We're divided politically, Everything seemingly is now political. You can't name anything that's not political anymore. We're divided culturally. We're divided in many ways morally. Everything in the public media has a slant to it, has a bias attached to it. We watch as politicians push for more and more government control over our lives all in an environment in which simple civility has evaporated, been lost. And then you begin to think about the, the, the natural catastrophes that regularly have taken place. The extreme weather events, the powerful storms, the, the devastating earthquakes, the, the, the destructive wildfires, environmental crises, one right after the other. And then... In, on top of all that, we've watched the rise in impatience. Is it just me or are people just not as, not as patient as they used to be? Anger or rage 
lack of respect, violence, despair, hopelessness, drug and alcohol addiction, suicide. Now trust me, I didn't come here today to depress us more than maybe you already were. (laughs) My objective is to do just the opposite, and I hope you're going to see that clearly. But does it not seem that the world and our nation is at a tipping point? That it's almost like we're on a precipice, on the brink. And you think about it, does it not all confirm what we already in the church fundamentally know about this world? This world is a fallen world. This world is marred and scarred by sin. This this world apart from Christ is lost and separated from God. And it is a world which is temporary. It is a world in which our own individual lives are temporary. We've already seen through the looking at the history of the church this morning that we're just passing through here. And we know as we've also seen in the history, that we stand on some big shoulders looking back over the history of this church. So we the church, we who are followers of Jesus Christ, need to be reminded of what the Bible also confirms. This world as it is today is not the end of the story. This world as it is today is not the end of the story. And there's a word I want to emphasize right now, and it is the word perspective. The church's perspective, the point of view, the understanding of life, the understanding of this world, and the understanding of the life beyond eternity in light of who we are in Jesus Christ. The follower of Jesus Christ, those who have been redeemed, Those who have have been forgiven of sin and reconciled to God by the blood shed at Calvary's cross. Those who possess eternal salvation. Look at this world. Not through human eyes, but through the eyes of God. Through God's love, through the eyes of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. We are the church, the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. We're the ones who have been called out of darkness into His glorious light. And we are to see this fallen world through eyes of faith, through eyes of redemption, through eyes who possess eternal life, eternal victory. At least we should. However, it is so easy for us to subtly slip into the patterns and mindset and perspective of the world that is without Christ. So I would say today, God help us as believers, God help us as followers of Jesus, as the church, to see this world in which we live now, to see humanity with the right perspective. Biblical perspective. The perspective we're to have as the church. That's what the book of Revelation does. Many other parts of the Bible do also. But that's what the book of Revelation does. 
it gives, it reveals the true church perspective. The church at the end of the first century and the church today. The church in Dillon, South Carolina. So I want you to look with me there at our text in Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to read the first eight verses. And then I'm going to give a few words of, of note, background, in, in verses 1 through 3 as we move forward. Look there with me as we read God's Word. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which, is, which God gave Him to show His servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who testifies to everything He saw, that is, the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits, before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve His God and Father, to Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of Him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now it's clear from the outset why the book is titled Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the first phrase in the book. And it's worth noting that the the Greek word translated revelation is the word apocalypsis from which we get our word apocalypse. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word apocalypse. Maybe it's a movie with all kinds of stuff, a futuristic look and everything. But in actuality, the word literally means unveiling. It means disclosure. It means to expose. The book of Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is the disclosure of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who is the central figure in the book of Revelation. And the book discloses, the book unveils what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do through Jesus Christ. Now note to whom God gave the revelation and who recorded it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we hold it today as the authoritative Word of God. We're told there in in, in the first verse... He he made it known by sending His angel to His servant, John, who testifies to everything He saw. That is the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He made it known by sending His angel, His messenger, to His servant, John. That is the Apostle John, one of the twelve apostles, the beloved disciple, author of the fourth fourth gospel, and three letters in your New Testament. If you look over at verse 9... When John is about to receive this glorious vision of of Christ and all His glory, he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's an old man now. He's near the end of his life. He's He's in exile on the island of Patmos about 95 A.D. And note the beatitude that is attached 
to the introduction of the book of Revelation. Verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Because the time is near. I, I, when I, the, the word time. Now think about Galatians 4.4 4, when Paul said that, that Christ was born of a woman when the time had fully come. When the time, in the fullness of time, Christ was born. Born of a woman. Well, in the fullness of time, that's what John is referring to here. What will soon take place. The New Testament teaches that the second coming is to viewed always as being imminent. It's imminent. It's going to take place. And it really is a reminder to us that we should never judge our circumstances in life. The circumstances in our culture. and The circumstances in the world simply by what we might be presently going through. The time is near. A day is coming. A day of eternal victory. A day of eternal salvation. You must keep your perspective. Keep your perspective. Victory is on its way. And then we're reminded that the blessing is for those who hear it and take it to heart. Who hear it and take it to heart. When I, when I read that, I think of what Jesus told His disciples on the eve of the cross in John 16.33. The disciples' world was seemingly falling apart. It was in chaos. They didn't understand fully what was going on. They believed in Jesus, but they, 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 they couldn't comprehend what was taking place as He was arrested and, and led away to the cross. And He reminds them on that night before He went to Calvary, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The book of Revelation refers to those who, of us who are in Christ as overcomers. And today we worship the one who has overcome the world. So in a nutshell, that is the message of Revelation. The Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain of eternity and reveals, unveils the eternal glorified Lord Jesus Christ in heaven and the fulfillment of His eternal purposes in world history. The final book of the Bible is a reminder that the history of the world has a destination and that despite appearances in the world, God is in control of all of history. And one of the key objectives of the book is that it be an encouragement and that it bring assurance to the church on the earth which found itself then in the kind of world that it existed in. A world in chaos filled with questions and filled with uncertainty. A time when it felt like Satan had the upper hand and the, the forces of darkness were in control. Revelation is a powerful reminder that temporary appearances on earth should not deceive because God has a sovereign plan for the world and His perfect, redemptive, eternal purposes cannot, will not be thwarted. There's an eternity to keep before us. We can take heart. Jesus has won the victory. And we are given the church's perspective and we must hold tightly to it in this world. In these opening lines, John reminds the church of, of three clear facts. I'm just going to break down these verses. Three clear facts about the perspective that we are to have, that the church must have in the world in which we live. Things that will unfold through the rest of the book. 
And these three facts are what give us the perspective to go forward and fulfill the mission that we have on this earth as we serve the Lord Jesus. The first fact about that perspective that he points us to is the reigning King of Kings who is accomplishing His eternal purposes. The reigning King of Kings who is accomplishing His eternal purposes. Look there if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. Verse 4 at what he says there. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before His throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. We're told to whom, first of all, there to whom the revelation is addressed to the seven churches in the provinces in the province of Asia. They were seven literal historical first century churches in the Roman province of Asia. And they each received a personalized message from the Lord of the Lampstands in chapters two and three. They received personal messages from Christ. The churches Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And these churches existed in a pagan world where there was tremendous hostility against Christians. It was near the end of the reign of the Roman emperor Domitian, a brutally cruel and wicked emperor. He even demanded to be worshipped as God. And of course, a true follower of Jesus Christ knows there's one Lord. And confesses no one but Jesus. So there was tremendous persecution and suffering. And that's why the Apostle John was on the island of Patmos. The revelation is a message to the church. The church then and the church today. And then we're told who revelation is from. John tells us it is from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before His throne, and from Jesus Christ. It is from the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, blessed Trinity. The God who is, and who was, and who is to come. The present, the past, and the future. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's the source of all creation. All creation. The source of time and history. Who transcends it all. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Get my leaves straight here. Listen to what, what it says there. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, You laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens or the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. And then we're told of the seven spirits. Seven symbolizes completeness and perfection. The term speaks to the fullness of God the Holy Spirit. And then we're told that it is from Jesus, God the Son, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then note the phrase at the end of verse 4, before His throne. Before His throne. Don't miss the imagery there. It's developed much more fully in chapters 4 and 5 when we're carried right into the throne room of God. 
But chapter 4, verse 2, John says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, carried into the very throne room of God. Earthly kings and authority have come and gone throughout history and will continue to do so. And just a reminder, United States presidents have gone, come and gone throughout our history. They come and they go, but there's one reigning king over all things. And his authority, his precepts, his purposes transcends all that takes place on this earth. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21 1 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Perspective. God is on the throne this morning. God is on the throne of all, over all of His creation. And John wants the church to know that the God who is and the God who was and the God who is to come is the King of kings, the King who eternally reigns. His truth is marching on and nothing and no one can prevent Him from keeping His promises and fulfilling His eternal purposes. There is a reigning king. The second fact about perspective that John points us to in this text is the only Savior who is the only hope for this world. The only Savior who is the only hope for this world. Last part of verse 5 and verse 6. He writes, To Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle John directs our attention to what should be continually in the forefront of our minds. He reminds us of the love of God which resulted in the first advent of His Son. The first coming of Jesus into this world. And because of His atonement, because of His atoning sacrifice on the cross, because of the blood He shed at Calvary, we by faith have been forgiven. We by faith have been set free from our sins. We by faith have been delivered from the, the, the darkness of sin. We've been liberated and therefore we have been reconciled to a holy God through nothing we have done or could ever do or earn or merit, but totally by the grace of Almighty God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And the same Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 14, The Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus has come. And He came to save us. He came to redeem us. And He's the only Savior. And therefore, He's the only hope of this, for this world. There is no other hope. I am the way, the truth, and the life, He said. No man comes to the Father except through Me. And don't miss the divine purpose that we who have been saved, we as the church, have been given divinely. We've been given this, this, this purpose, this mission by God. He has made us to be a kingdom and priest, John says. To serve His God and Father. Let me take us back to the book of Exodus. When God is speaking to Moses at, at Sinai. And He writes, Now if you obey Me fully and keep My covenant, then out of all nations you will be My treasured possession. Although the whole earth is Mine, you will be for Me a kingdom of priests, 
and a holy nation. The Apostle Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, takes that same language and applies it to us, the church. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Verse 6 says, He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now, the priesthood of the believer is a cherished doctrine we hold. As Christians and as Baptists. Usually when we think of the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, we think about it as it applies to our lives individually in our relationship to God. We don't need a mediator today. We have access to the throne of God. We have access to the presence of God. We don't need a priest. Usually that's what we think of. But here, the focus is on the purpose of a priest. And the purpose of a priest is that of mediation, to be a mediator. To be a mediator between God and man. As God's priesthood in the world, the church, as God's priesthood in the world, the redeemed, the church, serves as the mediator to bring people to God, the God that we know through Jesus Christ. We are mediators of the gospel to the world. We hold the keys to the kingdom. And the God-given mission of the church is to take the gospel to the world. Our mission is the Great Commission to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them that everything that Jesus has taught us to obey it. Today we celebrate the 130th anniversary of First Baptist Church in Dillon. I know I'm biased. I know there are a lot of great churches. I would challenge any church to be as great in its history and its legacy and in its ministry as First Baptist Church Dillon has been. This is a great church. And I understand that more and more with each passing year of my life. And how thankful I am that God saw fit in His sovereignty to call me to serve as your pastor for those years. And I'm so thankful He has called Jamie Arnett to carry on And as I stand here today, I reflect on many in that generation Jamie was talking about when I moved here in 1995. Because I learned so much from that generation that is just behind me. There's some still here, but many of them are now with our Lord. And I reflect on those men and women often. And they, they, they have served, they serve such a glorious purpose in serving God the way they did in, through this church and in this community. And that is a great challenge in going forward. A great challenge that this generation that comes behind has to carry on. And, and, and may the Lord find this next generation as faithful as that past generation. As we celebrate this anniversary today, we need to be reminded that what took place a little over 2,000 years ago through the birth, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the event that provides the only hope this world has. And that generation that we've heard about today, they knew that. They knew that and they practiced it and they lived it out 
And they testified to it. That event is the event around which all of time in history revolves. There is no salvation. There is no redemption. There is no eternal home in heaven apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. The world is helpless and hopeless today but for the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross that alone frees a person from sin and reconciles them to a holy God. Third and lastly, third fact that reminds us of the perspective that we must have as the church and as followers of Christ. And that is the returning Lord who will return, who will come in triumph and in glory. He says in verse 7, Look, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of Him, so shall it be. Amen. That's right there at the outset of the book. If you turn over to the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Look, I am coming again. You go down to the very end, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. As Jesus' first followers witnessed His ascension back to heaven, back to the Father, back to glory, Two angels appeared to those who witnessed that on Ascension Day. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, I won't read the whole passage, just verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, the angels, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. Time in history is not unfolding in a meaningless way, in an aimless way. It's not unfolding indefinitely. It will come full circle. And one day Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, will step over the threshold of heaven and return to this earth to claim His bride, the church, and usher in eternity. We're told He's coming with the clouds. Acts 1 says that He ascended in a cloud before their eyes that day. The angels promised that He would return in the same way. We're told that He's coming visibly. Every eye will see Him. And He's coming victoriously. Every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him and all peoples on earth will mourn and wail because of Him. You contrast His first advent to His second advent. In His first coming, it took place in a quiet, on a quiet Judean night unknown to the world. In His second advent, every eye will see Him. In His first advent, He was, he was a baby. God born in human flesh as a baby and placed in a feeding trough as His, as his, as his crib. Second coming, He comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In His first advent, He was unrecognized. And He was despised and He was rejected. And His second advent is, will be the moment that all will know who He is. Those who are His and those who have rejected Him. Matthew chapter 24, verses 30 and 31 says, 
Jesus says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. That's what should motivate the church. That's what should motivate us to keep perspective. That's what should inspire us and burden our hearts as we go forward. On August 22, 1741, George Frederick Handel sat down at his desk and began to jot down notes on, on a page in astonishing speed. He did not leave his house. Food was brought to him and was often left untouched as his servant would find Handel staring out the window or intently bent over his music writing feverishly. Twenty-three days later, Handel placed his manuscript in a drawer, blew out his candle, and went to bed. He had completed his masterpiece, the Messiah, that we normally hear at Christmas. One day during that time, Handel's servant found him at his desk with tears streaming down his face. He had just finished a work the work on the most familiar part of that composition, the Hallelujah Chorus. And it contains, as you know, the triumphant refrain, and He shall reign forever and ever. And He shall reign forever and ever. And Handel brokenly told his servant, I did see all heaven before me and the great God Himself. In this broken, fallen sin-sick world that confronts us with uncertainty and threats and suffering and death. It is imperative that we, the church, we, the redeemed, keep things in perspective. The King, God Almighty, is on His eternal throne. The Savior still saves. Jesus is the only hope for this world. And the time is near. He is coming in triumph and glory. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? We represent a broad spectrum of people that are affiliated with First Baptist Church in Dillon today. God knows right where we are, and He knows right where we are in our relationship with Him. Liam Peacock prayed a while ago. He prayed for those who may be here today and do not have that relationship. There's nothing more important, more significant in your life on this earth than to know that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and that you are a part of the church not just First Baptist Church, but the church that will be in heaven one day. And that's who's going to be there. The blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. Those who have placed their faith in Him. It would be a glorious day to, for this to be the day of salvation for someone here today. Pastor Jamie will be here. If you would come and share that with him, or if you would just like to meet with him and talk with him, or someone in this church, we'll be glad to do that. For the rest of us who over our journeys through this life have been a part of this, this congregation, this church family, 
a great opportunity, a great time for us just to personally take stock, evaluate, examine ourselves, where we are in our walk, what our priorities are, and what our perspective is. And to make sure that we've got the church's perspective as we live each day and as we go forward. Lord, I pray that you would take these concluding moments today as we have truly worshipped you in spirit and in truth. Take these concluding moments, these closing moments. Touch our hearts. And whether we come to this altar physically, I pray that we would at least bow our hearts before you and make an altar today. And recommit and reconsecrate ourselves to your Lordship. Who you are and who, who the church is and what the church is here for. In Jesus' name, amen. To every question.